This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads at our website ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Well, good afternoon everyone. Whenever we hear or see news items, you may well wonder, well, what does the Bible say about them? Over recent times, whether we consider weeks or months or years, there have been a great many news items about which the Bible has something to say. More importantly, we need to take note of such events, for they also form part of God's message to us about what he has planned for this earth. There were, of course, the American elections leading to Donald Trump becoming president. It was a surprise throughout the world, I would suggest, especially as from what we have seen, he had no experience of prior political posts that his predecessors had, but rather had commercial and business experience. As for the UK elections, well, the, the Brexit referendum last year produced a result that was unexpected also. And for which, in hindsight, the consequences had not been prepared for by any party. This year, of course, we saw the general election and there was initially such confidence that the, uh, there would be a government formed with around a 100-seat majority within Parliament. Yet the overall result was far from that with not even an overall majority of seats for any party. Even France produced unexpected results within its elections. Not only do these events show that we humans cannot predict what lies ahead, the opinion polls are invariably wrong. Expectations can assume that we know more than we do. We should consider what was shown to Daniel, the prophet Daniel, centuries before the birth of the Lord Jesus. We're going to turn to Daniel chapter 4 for our first reading. And we can see there that the words through Daniel from God were, are still very relevant. While you're turning it up, the context in this prophecy of Daniel, Daniel was speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, who was king of Babylon, he was heading up what was to be what was then the world's major power. Daniel had been explaining to the king a dream that he'd had, which none of his wise men could interpret, but God revealed it to Daniel. At the end of explaining it, he stated its purpose. We're turning to Daniel chapter 4, and I'm reading from the New King James Version, which Brother John has asked us to, to do in his paper that he's written for us. Uh, verse 17. This decision is by the decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdoms of men gives it to whomsoever he will and sets over it the lowest of men. This refers to then a, a principal teaching that God is in control of world powers both in setting them up and causing them to end. It was relevant then, it is relevant today. This element of teaching occurs three times in this same chapter. Let's just, just look at another example. It's in verse 25 of this same chapter. Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, They shall drive you from men, your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, 
and seven times shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdoms of men and gives it to whomsoever he chooses. And yet a third time now in the same chapter in verse 32 now. Again, Daniel speaking to King Nebuchadnezzar. They shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and gives it to whomsoever he chooses. So there's a very forcible element there. Three times in that same chapter, Daniel is telling us that God rules in the kingdoms of men. And God still rules in the kingdoms of men today. Let's just reflect on what God told another prophet. We're going to Isaiah now. If you turn back, we're going to um, Isaiah chapter 10. This is what God told Isaiah about a king of, the king of Assyria. And consider how the objectives of a leader may serve a purpose within God's plan. So we're reading from Isaiah chapter 10 about this king of Assyria and it's verses 5 to 7. Woe to Assyria, the rod of mine anger, my anger and the staff in whose hand is my indignation. I will send him against an ungodly nation and against the people of my wrath. I will give him charge to seize the spoil, to take the prey and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. Yet he does not mean to, nor does his heart think so. But it is in his heart to destroy and cut off not a few nations. So although this king of Assyria didn't want to or didn't mean to, yet it was in God's plan that he would destroy this nation that he's sent against. So quite clearly this is showing that whilst he was a ruler, in this case a king, although he may be thinking and acting along particular lines for achieving some result, God's plans have already taken that into account, knowing how such people think and act. Coming back to our modern day, as far as Donald Trump is concerned, his first overseas trip as president was to the Middle East, firstly to some Arab countries and then to Israel. Whilst in Israel, in a speech, he stated that peace is one of the toughest deals of all. He said that, but he said that we have a feeling we're going to get there eventually. Here was a president then, having been in office only a few months, thinking he could sort out the issue of Israel's peace when so many others had tried over many, many decades and their efforts have produced no lasting peace. In fact, at the time of preparing this talk, the online news contains reports of further violence and killings in Israel. No peace then. But as far as peace in Israel is concerned, Let's consider the message of another prophet. This time we're going to look at the prophet Zechariah. Towards the end of the Old Testament, we're going to look at Zechariah and chapter 12. And the opening three verses. This is what God says through this prophet Zechariah. Verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord against Israel. Thus saith the Lord who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundations of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. 
Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples when they laid siege against it, uh, sorry, against Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. That is what was prophesied through Zechariah. And even now, Jerusalem is at the heart of peace attempts by some parties. Yet others totally reject Israel as a valid nation and wish it did not exist. So great is their hatred. This is an issue even now proving to be a very heavy stone, which is what Zechariah said, or a burden to any person or nation attempted to bring about peace or to destroy Israel or, or Jerusalem. Going back to the prophecy of Isaiah yet again, this time to chapter 62. Isaiah chapter 62. And the opening four verses. Isaiah 62 verse 1. For Zion's sake I will not hold my peace, And for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. The Gentiles shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord will name. You shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no longer be termed forsaken nor shall your land any more be termed desolate. So as far as the Lord is concerned, he has his own plan for Jerusalem. We're going back to the prophecy of Zechariah and chapter 2. We want to see now how um, God regards Jerusalem. Zechariah chapter 2, beginning at verse 7. Zechariah 2 and verse 7. We read there, Up Zion escape, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, He sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you, touches the apple of his eye. God is sensitive as to what people or nations do to Jerusalem. And whilst Israel is currently occupied by many Jews who have returned to the land, an event foretold in the Bible, God is long-suffering with what he lets happen. And therefore will have to be changes that will need to be at God's instigation. From what we have considered from just a few references, we can begin to see how God shows he is in control of world events, knowing of them many years before they occur. One of the latest contrasts we have now is uh, how we saw our own Prime Minister's manifesto, which included far more than it, uh, f- far more in it than was within her, within her party's ambitions, which was stated in the Queen's speech. Uh, she had to water down, or the government had to water down, uh, what they were going to do, uh, and even uh, have deals done with other parties. 
this being due to the unexpected general election results. So even man uh, in our own government who are in power um, cannot uh, enforce uh, their own will. This year alone we have experienced reports of many instances of violence, whether by accidents or planned atrocities, including terrorism. They've not just been in the UK, of course, or Europe, but around the world. What do we make of them from what the Bible has to say? Well, violence by way of murder occurred as early as the time of Cain. We're going back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis in chapter 4 to see how the first murder took place. It's Genesis in chapter 4. And we're reading from verse 3. We can read there, In the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do, and if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. So three, thing, three things arise from this. Both Cain and Abel made offerings. Abel's was accepted. Cain's was not. Cain was given opportunity to change from harbouring anger. He chose, to, he chose to vent that anger, to not change his ways, and he did so using violence. Recent major instances of terrorism are a little different in that they too appear to have arisen from a different outlook on what is pleasing to the Lord God, creator of all the earth. But violence also occurred as recorded in Genesis chapter 6. If you are in Genesis, just turn over a few pages to Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 11. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And so God sent a flood across the earth, so that the, that of the people then living only Noah and his family survived. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. That's a quotation from Psalm 11 verse 5, if you want the reference. This is what the psalmist records of God's view of violence. He hates it. And when Jesus was relating what the earth will be like, when he returns to establish God's kingdom on the earth, he had this to say. We're reading from uh, Matthew chapter 24 and verse 36, if you want to follow it. 
Matthew 24 and verse 36. Jesus says this about the time of his return to the earth to establish God's kingdom. He says in verse 36, But of that day and hour no, no, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the, will the coming of the Son of Man be. For in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. The suddenness of Jesus' return will therefore be an unseen, unforeseen occurrence, just like the flood was when violence prevailed in the time when Noah um, was, was alive. But this suddenness will be because few people will have prepared for that time. Not because they haven't been able to know about it, but because they will not have listened to God's message. The Apostle Peter records that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And we can understand that when he had the length of time that he did to build a massive boat on dry land, away from seas and oceans, people would have seen what he was doing. They made a conscious decision to disregard it. They took no heed to what Noah told them about why he was doing it or what it meant. So they were caught out when the flood came. Jesus adds to what he had to say about the world would be like before he will return. We're going to turn over now to Luke and chapter 21, if you want to follow it. Luke 21, reading from verse 25. We read there the words of Jesus. And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear, and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads, because your redemption draws near. Despite us having so many adverse things going on in the world around us, the message of Jesus accurately describes our times, and the consequences of that message are also given by him. Action by the recipient is required by us just as we saw Noah recorded as being a preacher of righteousness prior to the flood we should appreciate that the message of Jesus for us is to prepare for the future and it's just as relevant now as it was for Noah and his contemporaries consider also how much we have seen fear being expressed this year and it has been especially arising from violence in many places. But also we've seen tragic fires in Britain and in Portugal. Jesus' message is one of hope. Look up, he says, lift up your heads. Whilst we have considered many, uh, consider mainly how that the Bible shows that world events are under God's control, however much they seem to be the choice of the people, and how that there are increased levels of violence with loss of life, with the consequential fears of what else will or could happen, just ponder how we hear news of declining numbers of people in the UK attending church services, declining numbers believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
and what his life, his death and his resurrection mean. These aspects of decline are seen to have more impact when statistics also reflect less frequent attendances of churchgoers. Why are these aspects important? Generally God is not held in awe as in prior generations. There is no reverence for him or his son. There is widespread concern at the lack of neighbourliness. There is far greater self-centeredness. However, of course, we do acknowledge the kind and generous responses to recent disasters. Of course, that's there. But people, but for the most part, people have become, as the Bible expresses it, we're going to turn to Paul's letter to Timothy, second letter to Timothy. Paul, second Timothy, and chapter 3. Talking about the last days, second Timothy and chapter 3. And beginning at verse... 1 2 Timothy 3 and verse 1 but, but know this that in the last days perilous times will come for men will be lovers of themselves lovers of money boasters, proud, blasphemers disobedient to parents unthankful, unholy unloving, unforgiving slanderers without self-control brutal despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away, Paul says. What we see around us reflects what people are like, how they regard one another, what they see as their priorities, whatever they may be, but from what we have seen and what we have experienced, experienced, the world needs a ruler with high standards who will rule the world in righteousness, who will overthrow the wicked, just as God did at the time of the flood. So we have been warned, and it is up to each of us to prepare for when Jesus, the promised ruler, returns. We have the means to learn how through the Bible. Our introductory reading in Psalm 72 describes for us the quality of the ruler that God has appointed the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not going to go through the whole of that now, but if you just turn back to Psalm 72, just to read the last few verses of it. We read there Psalm 72 and verse 18. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things, and blessed be his glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and Amen. We would recommend that you read this psalm yourselves again in more detail to see how he will accomplish what no current ruler can, including social justice and peace, how he will be respected and honoured, and even food shortages will be a thing of the past. We're going to conclude with some words from Second uh, Timothy. Sorry, I should have said keep your fingers in Second Timothy. It's Second Timothy, the same chapter, chapter three, that we looked at previously. Verse 
Second Timothy chapter 3 and the last two verses where we can read this. Verse 16 of Second Timothy 3. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. In addition to being relative to current world events, the scriptures provide us with a hope that no current ruler can. But we need the word of God to guide us in our preparation if we are to share in that time within God's kingdom here on the earth when Jesus returns. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, videos, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirtchristadelphians.org.uk. Thank you.